Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. And so today we start a series over the next few weeks, and uh, we're going to be looking at what is the gospel of grace? How do we preach this gospel of grace to those that that are in our world? Um, we want to do. We want to look at you now. How do we address sin? We don't talk about sin a lot, but how do we actually address it? What does it look like? How does it affect people's lives? And we understand that it's it's sin that separates us from God. And then we want to talk about righteousness. We are all being made righteous in Christ through His precious blood. We're going to celebrate that a little bit later on in this service through our time of communion, and. Uh, But also, we need to understand rebellion, that each and every one of us have rebelled against God and we need, which is the last point, we need a saviour and we need a Lord. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. Pastor Troy will be back next week and he's going to open this up uh, even uh, further. You know, we've been looking through Mark's Gospel And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that in Mark's gospel, Mark's really not interested in a lot of the detail. And so he gets to the end of his gospel and he commissions his disciples. And it's a fairly small commissioning service, if you like, because he just tells them to go into the world and preach the gospel. Did you know that's our responsibility to go into the world and preach the gospel? And he says it. Uh, just like that, basically. Just as the instructions to his disciples, you need to go into the world and preach the gospel. So I needed to go back to Luke because Luke is one of those writers that gives us a bit more detail in regard to when Jesus makes a particular statement. Luke likes to pat it out. He likes to give uh, some more information to to them. Uh, Luke's a bit like... Uh, it's a bit like he's writing to me. He's a bit thick sometimes and doesn't quite get it, uh, which is not dissimilar to what the disciples were, were they? Like, how many times did Jesus have to tell them something? It's like, you know, your five-year-old kid. Look, don't, don't do that. And five minutes later, don't do that, or yes, do this, or whatever. And Jesus was constantly talking to his disciples about him and what was expected of them. And uh, he's writing in Luke uh, to a guy called Theophilus. Um, Theophilus is an interesting word because it means friend of God. A nice name to have, isn't it? Friend of God. And you know, a lot of people go, well, who is this guy called Theophilus? Well, basically, Theophilus is a pseudonym for anybody in those days that wanted to know about Jesus but weren't prepared to let their name out of the bag, let the cat out of the bag. So it's a pretty strong possibility that Theophilus is probably a Roman citizen who wanted to know about Jesus and couldn't afford his identity to be known, or he was possibly uh, a, a Jewish leader somewhere living in Rome and again is asking the questions about about Jesus. And so Luke is writing his gospel uh, around uh, these particular thoughts. Again, 
not an eyewitness, but he gathered multiple eyewitnesses together to get the story right. So in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, we read these instructions again. It says, Jesus said to them, These are the things that I told you while I was yet with you. All the things written about me in the law of Moses and in the books of the early preachers and in the Psalms must happen as they said they would happen. And what do we know that as we've been looking at, uh, at, at our Easter story over the last few weeks, we discover that there's so many of the situations that Jesus finds himself in that have to do with the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament writings. He is the Messiah. And it goes on. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the holy writings. He said to them, It is written that Christ should suffer and be raised from the dead, and after three days it must be preached that men must be sorry for their sins and turn from them. And then they'll be forgiven. This must be preached. And I want you to hear this this morning. This must be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are to tell what you have seen. See, I will send you what my father promised, but you are to stay in Jerusalem until you have received power from above. So there's no doubt that uh, Luke is saying to us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all those writings, all those stories, all the prophetic words that have been given for centuries in the, in the Jewish history. This is the one. He is the one. And he wants Theophilus to know this. But he takes it a step further because he then tells them what Jesus expects of us. He doesn't just leave it there that this is the Messiah. He then goes on to say to his disciples, but you, my disciples, you must be the ones that go into the world and speak this message to everybody you come across. And they call it the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that when Jesus was on the planet, they called his ministry, or he called his ministry, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? That the kingdom has come. Now is the time. That the kingdom has come from earth onto, onto heaven. Uh, sorry, from heaven onto earth. But Luke is saying... That's not the message that we preach anymore. We are now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was, what Jesus did for us, what Jesus has restored us to, back to God in a a righteous relationship because of his death and his resurrection. He says, that's the gospel. And you've got to take that gospel into the world and preach it to others. And so we then jump into the book of Acts. The book of Acts is where the gospel starts to move forward uh, into our world. And we know from Judea Judea and Samaria and uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth, they are taking their responsibility to do that. We're going to look at how that actually works in uh, in a couple of moments. But 
in Acts chapter 1, I want to read this to you again because Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel to Theophilus, is writing the same message to the same man. It says in Acts chapter 1, Dear Theophilus, in my first writings I wrote about all the things that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he went to heaven. He spoke to the missionaries through the Holy Spirit. He told those whom he had chosen what they should do. And after he had suffered much and then died, he showed himself alive in many uh, sure ways for 40 days. And he told them many things about the holy nation of God. And so we see that he's writing to the same person. And it's Luke who writes Luke's gospel. It's Luke that writes uh, the book of Acts. And then as we read on from that, I think some of the key verses that we see in this first chapter of Acts chapter 1 uh, comes from uh, verse 4. And it says, And they were gathered together with him. Remember, we're talking about how do we preach the gospel of grace. They, as they were gathered together with him, he told them, Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not, we, do not leave Jerusalem. Remember what Luke says at the end of the message of, of his gospel? He basically says that they need to wait. He challenges them that they had to produce this, uh, um, they proclaim this particular message. But he also says before you do that, you have to wait. You have to wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you will tell about me in the city of Jerusalem and all over the countries of Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's something significant about what is happening here in the waiting. And we know that what he's talking about is Pentecost. And in Pentecost... What happened? The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they were empowered to preach the message, the gospel of grace to all that were around them. Miraculous time. Because Peter actually stands up and takes his responsibility. And the Bible says that he preaches and 3,000 people are added to the body of Christ that day. The church is born and is the church is actually on its move. And it's on its move because the gospel is being spoken about. Now, when you think about that, most of you would say to me, Amen. We need to be able to preach the gospel. We need to be able to speak the gospel out there. But the tragedy is, and I want you to hear this today, the tragedy is we have created some righteous language that sort of allows us to dissolve ourselves of our responsibility of preaching the gospel. How many of you have heard this statement over the years? You preach the gospel and sometimes you speak. Anybody ever heard that statement? You preach the gospel and sometimes you speak. And what it's saying is live righteously amongst people and then you'll get the opportunity to tell them about why you live like that. Tell them about Jesus. But I want to say today that's a myth. 
It's not biblical. It's an excuse. It's maybe because we fear rejection from others or it's a trick of the enemy to disempower us of the, of the most powerful tool that Jesus has given us, which is the gospel, which opens people's hearts up, that, bring, that illuminates their minds, that gives them an opportunity to have that question of why do I exist to be answered. See, the word preaching often trips us up. And people say, oh, I'm not a preacher. I never preach. Do you know what the word preaching actually means? Simply, it means to proclaim or announce. That's it. Each and every one of us has the ability to proclaim or announce the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not asking for a three-part sermon in a series we're just asking that we would learn how to just tell people about Jesus simply, what he's done for them. The gospel of grace. To proclaim or to announce. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It's a fancy looking uh, Greek word, kerygma, just so you understand that I know Greek, I know one word, kerygma. Studied it all week, even got on my iPad to work out how to say it properly. Sorry Richard, I know you're a bit of a Greek uh, student there, didn't want to mess it up. But the point is, we can proclaim, if you've got a tongue in your mouth and a brain in your head, you can proclaim and you can announce. You can tell people about what you've experienced in your relationship uh, in Jesus. But here's the crazy part about it. I, 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 I just I love the disciples because they're just like you and me. Um, we have a statement that we often call people that don't get it. Blockheads. Now, I don't want you to ever call anyone a blockhead. It's a terrible word. I got it called a lot of times in my life. But I'm a bit of a blockhead. I don't quite get it. And these disciples are like that. Jesus is sitting, he's telling them the story all through the Gospel of Luke. He's telling them about who he is and what he's going to do. And, and, and they're, sort of, they're sort of nodding their heads. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We get it. And then uh, after the resurrection, they go and have breakfast and Peter goes, yeah, I, yeah, I get it now. I do love you, Lord. Well, you know, go and feed my sheep. And Peter, yeah, 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 I got it. And then we see here in the book of Acts, they're all standing there. Jesus is pouring his heart out to them. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go tell people what you've experienced with me, what you've seen as an eyewitness. And yeah, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we... We'll do that. And, but just wait because you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this task. And then one of them steps up and says these words. Though, in verse 6, those who were there asked, Lord, is it the time for you to give the nation back to the Jews? Do you know what he was saying? When are we going to set up a government? Remember, 
the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus on the donkey. Pastor Troy talk, talked about this. And people are yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what they were excited about? They thought Jesus was going to be like David. He'd come into the city, gather the army together, defeat all the Romans, and Israel would become a powerful nation again. And Jesus is telling him time after time after time, this is not a political movement. This is something deep and spiritual. This is the redeeming of people's souls back to God. And this guy, whoever it is, is this the time for you to give the nation back to the Jews? It is not a political restoration. It's a spiritual one. See, the Jews, Jesus' disciples, they wanted to transform the culture. That was more important to them. They wanted to transform the culture. Remember they were arguing over when the culture's transformed, when the government's established. Can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left? Do I have a spot there for, for me? Because you know, I've been following you all around the place. I've been, you know, I gave up my fishing business. We're just like that. We're just like that. We don't get it. We ask those questions. We respond like that. You know, I had a lot to do with some key people that wanted to be involved uh, or started off family first, political party. And this is not a political speech. But the focus was on more of transforming the culture than it was on preaching the gospel. We have to live in the world, but not of the world. And the way that we live will transform culture in some ways, but that's not our major message. Our major message is preaching the gospel so that souls can be saved. I know over the years I've been asked these questions time and time again. And I'm not saying to anybody here today that we shouldn't be friendly, that we shouldn't be compassionate, but it's the Bible that commands us to preach the gospel. R.C. Prowl actually says this, the true gospel is not about what we can do for you God or others, but what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. It's not about what we can do for him. The gospel is about what he has done for us. So how do we manage this tension? This tension between verbal and nonverbal witnessing. As I said, you go to God's word and you see how he actually addresses it and it allows us to embrace the tension. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes to us by hearing the good news. 
How do you hear the good news if nobody speaks the good news? So faith comes by hearing and someone needs to speak it. And it says, and the good news comes by someone preaching it. Remember that word preaching? Announcing, proclaiming. Simple as that. Simple as that. And so we've got to, we've got to be able to look at it why we've, we are so nervous about actually sharing the gospel. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy is his young protege. It says, 2 Timothy 3.15, You have known the holy writings since you were a child. They are able to give you wisdom that leads to being saved from the punishment of sin by putting your trust in Christ Jesus. See the power of proclamation, the power of announcement, the power of preaching the gospel of grace? that there's wisdom that comes from it. And it's the wisdom from that that will actually save a person from the sin and the condemnation and the judgment that they will experience if they don't know Jesus. As I studied this, I wanted to find some sort of evangelistic formula. There had to be something there that Jesus was giving his disciples. And I discovered there isn't. He didn't leave them with a set of rules on how to actually do this. And so, you know, in church life, we've had certain courses that we've done over the years of of how do you preach the gospel and certain acronyms of how to preach the gospel and things like this. And I want to say to you today, it's, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's not. You are speaking to the heart, not the head. And so Jesus actually gives them what the secret of preaching the gospel is, and we've read it a couple of times today. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God as well. But it's interesting, in the New Testament, there's some extra words that go along with the Holy Spirit. And they're words like comforter. The comforter will come and comfort you. I think what Jesus is saying when he said, wait for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who will teach you of all things or remind you of all things, Jesus is saying that preaching the gospel is not an intellectual exercise. It is a heart thing that you speak and the Holy Spirit does the work. See, what, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to be clever enough or we want to be orators, great orators that we can share this particular message and hope that someone will actually grasp it. 
But Jesus is going, no, you get to speak the message, but the Holy Spirit needs to convict the person of their sin. That's why you're supposed to wait. That's why you're supposed to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. What did it do to Peter? It empowered Peter to preach a message to those 3,000 people that spoke into their hearts and they got it because of the Holy Spirit being poured out on that day. I'm going to ask the band to come up. So what I want to leave with you today is this, that the gospel is simply proclaiming or announcing the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus has dealt with our sin. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are restored back to the right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. And that Jesus has done or dealt with what has actually separated us from God, which is sin. And Jesus has dealt with sin so there's no longer judgment. I don't know about you, but I get up every day excited about that. I've been judged about a lot of things in my life. Some I probably deserved. But there's a whole lot of other stuff when it has to do with God that I should be judged for, but I won't be because of the gospel. I'm going to ask anybody uh, who hasn't got communion here this morning, if you'd like to just put your hand up and we'll quickly pass one out to you. Thank you. Just lift your hands up quickly. Felt like doing an altar call then. No, no, no. That hand, I'll see your hand. I'll see your hand. See your hand. Cool. When I was thinking about the gospel, and I remember Jesus' words when he was with his disciples, he says, When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It it reminds me of the gospel. We have a wafer, which symbolises the body of Christ who was broken for us. We have some juice which is symbolic of the blood of Christ that paid the price for your sin and my sin and restored us back into a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. So I want you to take that today and I want you to give God thanks for his gospel touching your life. 
and asking that the Holy Spirit would empower you to make you bold to be able to share that message to others that are around you. Take a moment to eat and drink in your own time and then Ethan will lead us as we finish our service off. Let me just quickly pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. God, you love us so much. You love us so much that you demonstrated that love through sending your son Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And Father, on that night where Jesus sat with his disciples eating this last meal, he took that bread and he gave thanks and he reminded them that in the future they will look back and they will see that as his broken body for them. And he took the cup and he gave thanks for that. And he reminded them that when they do this in the future, that they'll remember that his blood was shed for them and for all those who believe. And so, Father, we take these elements today. We give you thanks for them. Father, let us not hold on to this amazing message of grace to ourselves. Empower us to be able to preach it wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.